Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So I was watching last night in uh, anticipation of our chat today, some of like the early Steve-O videos, the earlier oh, nice. stuff. Uh-huh. And there's there's a moment in one of the videos where you're recording an encounter with Tommy and Nikki from Motley Crue, age uh, 13. Oh yeah, for the earlier video. And um, uh-huh. you're sort of saying how that was the moment really that changed your life and set you on your course to becoming an entertainer. Uh, I wouldn't say that it set me on the course to becoming an entertainer. Um, rather, it just uh, empowered me to really believe in my ability to do whatever you know I set my mind to right um there was just a really distinct feeling standing next to those guys you know I I didn't have anything to say to them but I had the distinct feeling that uh hear this impossible thing that I made happen you know through sheer will and determination well it was incredible initiative at such a young age to track right. down these international rock stars and tell us how you, you how you got to meet them. How did you find where they were and um, I, track them down? Uh, I guess the I was a big fan of uh, of baseball, you know, which is of course in a, a popular sport in America. And um, living in England growing up during the summers, I would go to America for right. like summer camp or whatever, and I would, I would visit America just during the summer. I lived in England. On our visits to America, um, my father would go out of his way 
to um, land us, in, you know, in a city that had a baseball game going on. And he would arrange to, for us to stay in the hotel with the visiting baseball team. Right. And so I would just sort of hang out in the lobby and sit, you know, collecting autographs from professional baseball players. So I was a little bit uh, kind of savvy to, you know, the idea that, you know, people like that stay in hotels. They don't just arrive on stage from right. out of nowhere and right. then disappear into the night, yeah. Yeah, which is more information than anybody's going to ever give a fuck about. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just that um, I was such a huge fan of Motley Crue, and the day before the concert, I saw them on the news having gotten in trouble for something or other, and I just was, you know, electrified, like, they're here, oh my god, they're here, um, yeah, the concert's tomorrow, and they're already here, they're, they're in a hotel, I know it, and, uh, thinking, you know, a hundred miles an hour, uh, like, okay, like, I know all their real names, you know, Frank Ferrano, Vincent Wharton, <laughs> you know, like, uh, proper Italian names, aren't they? Right, um, you know, they're like, they're like they're not going to check into a hotel under their real names. I guessed. They're you know, of course not. They're not going to check in under their stage names for sure. So then my next guess was they would check in um, under the name of their manager. So I went racing to my room and uh, went through all my tape, my tape cassette sleeves, looking. Uh, for the name of manager I remember thinking oh god please not please don't let there be a manager and a tour manager because which one would it be I wanted it to be but there wasn't it was just simple it said Doc McGee on every single one of them too including the Girls 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 album which they were touring behind and uh, so I had the name Doc McGee and I went running to the phone booth and I just opened it up to hotel and called every hotel in the phone book starting at the top of the list so as to not miss any you know, like, I didn't just go for the big ones that had, like, ads. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I went for the fucking whole... And this is the entire metropolitan, metropolitan area of Toronto. Um, and, like, what was crazy about it was that uh, my mom was sort of frustrated with me for tying up the house phone. This was, of course, many years before call waiting. And, uh, you know, she said, oh, you're tying up the house phone. And it was on Saturday, as I recall, because the, the show was on a Sunday. And uh, my dad was watching American football. And all my dad ever wanted was for me to show initiative and, and uh, you know, apply myself. So dad was thrilled. Right on. So dad was thrilled with what I was doing. He didn't care that it was a heavy metal band. He just, uh, he told my mom, like, hey, you know, honey, like, sort of back off. You know, let, let him do his thing. So I was allowed to keep calling, and I called for probably two, three solid hours. And, uh sure enough man I got through to uh, they patched me through to, to a hotel room at one point there was one false alarm with a misspell a, a different spelling of McGee right but yeah I got through man and um, so this guy answers the phone and, and um, he said hello and I said hello is that Doc McGee and uh, he said no this is Doc's brother Scott who's this and I was like as in Motley Crue like just couldn't believe I, I had found him and uh, you blew your cover was, right away yeah yeah as in Motley Crue I blew my cover totally and um 
so the guy, like, I could kind of sense that he, he was a little annoyed. Like, oh, like, you know, how did you get this number? And I was like, oh, I called every hotel in the phone book. And then <laughs> the guy went from being annoyed to, like, just genuinely impressed. He said, wait a second, hold on. You called every hotel in the phone book? <laughs> he says, that is awesome. Uh, he had never heard of that. But he said, uh, he said, how would you like it if I put your name on the list for backstage passes? And he told me that he could get me tickets in the fifth row. And, like, that was such a godsend because I didn't have tickets to the show. What I had was um, my father uh, worked for Nabisco Canada. He was really basically the president of Nabisco Canada. Hence the traveling, right? Correct. Dad was a travel, like, you know, he was heading up different uh, international divisions of American companies. And so I grew up in five, five different countries. Um and nobody had Nabisco. Nabisco had a, a skybox in the Maple Leaf Gardens where the uh, show was. And nobody at Nabisco gave a fuck about Motley Crue. So <laughs> Dad knew that the Nabisco skybox would be empty for that show. And so Dad, knowing what a fan I was of Motley Crue, came to me you know, days before. And he said, he said hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and take you to the Motley Crue concert. My response to him was, oh, Dad, watching Motley Crue from behind a plate glass window sucks. <laughs> Especially with you, guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I, and, and my dad was like sort of... Uh, you know, indignant, like, oh, well, you know, if you can do better, you know, then, uh, then we'll, <laughs> you know, but that's what you get, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So to get, like, um, you know, Doc McGee's brother to give me backstage passes and tickets in the fifth row, it was fucking awesome. What man. a cool move on his part as well. What a way cool move. What a way, way cool move. I did, uh, you know, many years later, I, I hooked up with, with all these guys, like, uh, I reached Scott McGee. Because Doc's um, notorious, isn't he? I mean, you know, Bon Jovi, Kiss. Sure, Kiss, but yeah. He's, he's a baller. He's epic, man, yeah. He's really, really epic. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, we, so Dad, uh, we, we went with, you know, with Dad's chauffeur to the, to the arena and um, got in line with, like, all these just cool, like, media people, just big camera packs, reporters, and it was just everybody's going to get their credentials and stuff. And sure enough, there was an envelope waiting with my name on it, and it had... I stuck it on my shirt, like, um, and, uh, yeah, we went up to the skybox. I brought my boom box, <laughs> I, my cassette recorder, to bootleg the show. So before the set, I went up there and... Did your own warm-up set, yeah. Well, no, no, I, I put, put the boom box next to the little speaker. Right, right, In the right, skybox, right. I hit record, so I recorded the concert. Oh, nice. That's Still got it, that tape? I don't. No, I don't know no. what happened to it. It sounded like shit anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was cool to just do that, you know, and then, um, I went, uh, you know, we went down to the seats. I hung out. I was the last person to leave backstage that night. Yeah, they let me just stay until the whole the whole deal. Did you see any debauchery going on? No. No. Um, when we walked backstage, Mick Mars was uh, roped off doing a, some kind of interview for a Guitar Magazine. It looked like he didn't interact with anybody. Um, Vince Neil was nowhere to be found, and um, Tommy Lee and Nikki Six and, and, and you know, mingled with everybody. I, it seems like they got to every single person, you know. I, I tried to talk to to Nikki Six a little bit about a concert that I hadn't even been able to go to, <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, but I bought the bootleg of it, and so I was intimately familiar with how it went. <laughs> um, and then years later, of course, you kind of you know became friends with Tommy, and sure, yeah, you know, like uh, Tommy and Nikki, man, like. Um, I, I linked up with them, uh, you know, in, in a pretty meaningful way. Like, what, what happened years later, um, it was 1987 when I met those guys. 
got my picture taken with him. So I've got this hilarious picture, you know, with Tommy and a, a hilarious picture with Nikki. And uh, so, what, 15 years later, 2002, um, in 2002, I was... Uh, charged with two felony offenses in America. I was facing um, eight years in prison, which, you know, you never are going to do. Like, it's, it's, you know... What, are you done, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I don't mind at all. I, I, I got arrested for stapling my balls to my leg. Um, As you do, yeah. Right, which was, you know... <laughs> Where were you? Really, the crime was... Uh, a kid got beaten up at one of my shows, and I had uh, orchestrated the circumstances in which that happened. Right. You know, I, I never intended for anybody to be seriously hurt, but what I did do was invite... I said, who wants to get on stage and try to run across the stage past the bouncers and... I remember you doing that on the tour I came to see you on. So Pop that was the Bulldog. yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. the don't try this at home oh, 2002 I, tour. I can't I can't imagine that I would have sent people to play British Bulldog after what happened in Louisiana. But uh, so it would have yeah. been before. I was a right. principal to a battery where a right. kid was uh, pretty seriously injured. Uh, went on to sue me for brain damage too. I, I don't know how brain damaged he was, but he got he got paid. Um, and. Uh, so I, when I was picked up, I was picked up on a Los Angeles. I was picked up in Los Angeles on a, um, I guess like a federal like warrant, you know, a fugitive warrant, uh, out of the state of Louisiana, for the whopping uh, bond of one point twelve million dollars. You know, they really threw the book at me. And uh, when I got arrested, I was extradited back to Louisiana, and you know, it was a whole thing. And I was facing eight years in prison. It was all pretty serious stuff, and. Um, I was uh, under strict instructions not to do any drugs because, you know, if they were to test me, it wouldn't, it would hurt, the, you know, my, my cause. Uh, so here I was doing no drugs, and that made me really uncomfortable. I was just sitting around and, and uh, playing online on the computer, and I, I, I made my way onto Tommy Lee's website and onto his message board and uh, sort of wrote him up the story about how we had met. Again, I left my email on there, and sure enough, a few days later, I had an email, Tommy Lee here, and... Uh, and I opened it up and said, dude, you're in almost as much trouble as I've been in. <laughs> you know, like, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and we became kind of friendly. Like, I would email him, like, funny stuff, uh, being really careful not to, like, overdo it, you know? Like, only if it was something awesome would I send. And so, uh, uh, you know, we wound up uh, kind of developing a little bit of a relationship, sort of a distant one, but, um, he, but yeah, he was always there for me when, uh, whenever I reached out, which was really cool. Because uh, he wasn't even in Motley Crue at that point anymore, you know they had uh, you know different you know different drummers. So the the drummer from Hole, and then I forget uh, the the old Aussie drummer, the guy who died of cancer. Um, but in any case, Tommy was not in the band. Um, come 2004, I got an email from him. It said, "Dude, call me on my on my house phone. Here's the number." And um, I called the number, and he, and he's like. I'm talking to him on the phone, which I just couldn't even believe, you know, on his on his house phone. And he says, "Dude, uh, I've been re rehearsing with Motley Crue for the last, you know, I've been rehearsing with Motley for the last, uh, like the last two weeks. We're, we're getting back together on uh, on whatever day it was in, in in I think December of 2004. Um, we're 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 announcing uh we're announcing we're going on tour. We're announcing our our, our new tour." Um, at the Palladium, we're, we're gonna fly in on a helicopter. It's gonna be an epic, like you know, press event, and uh, and I want you to announce us, you know. So this was the Carnival of Sins tour, right? 
and they had this. Uh, they, they turned out they weren't able to fly in on a helicopter. That didn't happen. But um, they, uh, yeah, man, they they had me go out there. It was the most full circle thing. I couldn't even believe it. Here I am on stage, backstage with them, on stage, announcing them. And he's like, I want you to do something super fucked up and announce. That's what he said. I want you to do something super fucked up and announce us. Um, so I went out there and uh, did my old light bulb trick, where I'd, I'd break a light bulb over my head with the microphone. The glass breaks, and I, you know, I pick up a piece of broken glass, and and uh, you know, I'd say slash, but really just cut my tongue to where it bleeds, and I really cut it pretty heavily that time, and so I was just pouring blood out of my tongue all over myself, and you know, and you know, I put my my fingers, I dipped my fingers in the blood coming out of my tongue, and uh, I put the horizontal lines underneath my eyes like Nikki the Six, Nikki Six, yeah, and then I put two fingers on my tongue and I did the diagonal two lines on my cheek like Tommy Lee. <laughs> the blood's just all all dripping all over me, and I and I'm covered, you know, and and I, I announced them, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Motley fucking crew, and uh, so then I come I come off stage. They're doing a little live Larry King interview. And, uh, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, as we pass each other, they're about, I'm coming off and they're going on. And Tommy uh, goes to grab me. He's like, yeah, my, that's my boy. You know, and he goes to give me a hug. And I'm trying to, like, keep the blood off of him. So I'm, I'm like, sort of, like, you know, like, angling away from him. You know, like, I'm going to try and, like, you know, not get my blood all over him because we're both shirtless. And, uh, and he goes, no, fuck that, dude. And he grabs me and just pulls me chest to chest and just smears himself. Like, <laughs> like he went on, like, my blood was all over him. He fucking walked out on stage, like, just with a chest full of my blood, dude. It's so fucked. There's all kinds of pictures out there you can just see him, see him like, I mean, maybe I'm overstating it. It's just, like, visibly, like, a bunch of my blood on him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, which <laughs> As is you so say, what an amazing full circle moment. Right, you know, and as I tell this story, it occurs to me how fucking cool it is. And I had I had a camera rolling that whole night, so I have the blood hug, the you know the whole deal. Plus, what was crazy too is that when I showed up, I showed up for their sound check. You know, right. I got I was in there like yeah, no, no way we're hanging out. And then I left, you know, from the sound check, I left to go fuck around and whatever to come back. When I came back, I had uh, you know I had my buddy filming me. Um, I had a gigantic bottle of fucking Jack Daniels. Um, there's a huge line going all the way down like Hollywood Boulevard, and I'm just parading down like with this bottle of Jack. Everyone's got their heads cocked back with their mouths open, and I'm pouring fucking Jack and all that. I'm just chugging it myself and pouring. And when I get to the venue, like they see me, and uh, and they they say they fucking take away my Jack Daniels they're fucking like you're out of here they, they chopped off my credentials and I'm like no you guys can't do this I'm introducing the band yeah. no you know fuck you know, I'm they, needed they, they, I swear they, yeah they cut it all off and so like I'm like oh no I just blew it blew so it, bad yeah. I have all this on video and um I went um Went back to the car, or whatever, and I put on like uh, some sunglasses and a hooded sweatshirt. Pulled it over, like called up Tommy Lee's uh, uh, manager. I'm like, "Hey, dude, I need you to smuggle me back in." And uh, sure enough, this guy comes out and, and uh, smuggles me back in, and, and it all it all went off, you know, without without any issue. So fucking cool, man. And then uh, even more amazing when I wrote my book. Oh, I actually I had to look at a little chapter in Tommy Lee's book. It's called Tommyland. 
Yeah, right. His memoir. Yeah, and and I got to write uh, an account of like when I was a kid and stuff, and it's, it's sort of like a little mini chapter in his book. Um, I wrote called "How to Meet Your Favorite Rock Stars," and then uh, that's a textbook example of how to do it as well. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great, man. In this day and age, it's kind of a different deal, you know. And it, and it's annoying for me, where like uh, like like if. Uh, if if someone comes and, and and bangs on the bus, you know, and like and and I'm and like, that's just lazy and intrusive, just, right? It's in, it's invasive. It's it's uh, you know, and people do different things that are like sort of like rude, you know, and and they'll cite, oh, dude, come on, like, don't be a fucking dick. I'm just doing what you did to me, Molly Creeper. No, you're not. You know, you're really not. Like when you're. Uh, when you're invading like my like private space, like I very politely contacted management. It's not that you turned up at their hotel room door either, is it? I'm here. I went through the management, (laughs) you know? And, uh, and and it's so easy to do that these days. Like when we were in Ireland, um, Scott, like wanting to, you know, I traveled to this guy, Scott, who humped a chick on the airplane on the way over here, which is the most, how do you even do that in this day and age? Those toilets well, are so small. He didn't, he didn't go to the toilet. Oh, there you go. That's how you do it. He didn't fucking go to the toilet. It's, it's the most incredible thing. Like, uh, it's, it's British Airways club class. Uh-huh, right. The aisle seats face one way. Uh-huh. But then there's two center seats next to each other that, that both face the other way. And and there's next to each other. So you get the two center aisle seats, and each, each of them has a partition. So it's basically like blocking off a little private space with two seats next to each other that lay down to complete beds. Now, when I showed up and walked down the hall, I'm thinking, I don't want to be stuck next to someone, fucking some person. I'm like, I want to just have the, you know, the fucking aisle seat so I can go to the bathroom. You know, now I'm old, I piss all the fucking time. And, uh, Amen. <laughs> so I get in and I come onto the airplane and I see Scott in my seat. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, like uh, what, what are you doing in my seat, dick? And he's like, huh? And he had it wrong. Like, his, he was in the center seat. He gets up, and he's like, oh, okay, dude. He gets up, and he gets in his allocated seat. Like, no sooner does he fucking sit in that seat. Like, one of the hottest chicks I've ever seen on an airplane comes fucking waltzing down and just parks down right next to him. And they hit it off. It was unbelievable, man. <laughs> the guy's got game, right? <laughs> they both put up their partitions, so they're fucking blocked off. I mean, it's an overnight flight. As soon as the lights went out, fucking... He met her after sitting in his seat and, and had sexual intercourse with her without leaving his seat. <laughs> Unbelievable. But in any case, like, as an example of, uh, of like, how easy it is to reach people, like, you know, Scott, you know, I travel with him, I've been traveling with him for three years. We don't just do shows. Like, we make videos a lot of the time. I can see the know? camera's right here. It's so cool to see, man. Like, you know, you're obviously still, first and foremost, yeah, I mean, a guerrilla filmmaker, and, and it goes back to that. Like, I, you know, I, I keep in my pocket, I mean, like, uh, a really nice fucking camera. Like, you know, I like... It depends, like, uh, there's no way that I'm not going to be making rad videos to, touring through 10 countries. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just too cool not to, but, um, and shit happens. I, mean, I meet fucking crazy people. Like, there's this one guy, uh, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, and it's just an example of Scott. Like, you know, he, uh, we got to Ireland first stop, you know, after he fucked the chick on the airplane. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, it'd be cool. He's like, what's Dublin? He's like, oh, Conor McGregor. And he just fucking Googled Conor McGregor's publicist, reached out. You know, he's like, hey, we want to... I mean, they said, no, he's too busy. But, like, again, to contact the management, you know? Um, That information's so readally accessible, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's absolutely killer. 
you know, but um, if people contact Scott, it's sort of an easier way to get a hold of me, you know, or like, um, like I, I'm not gonna, you know, Scott, Scott's better, at, you know, and I'll hear about things, like when something's worthwhile. So there's a guy who, um, in London, in 2003, which was the same tour where, where you came to see me, um, 2003, this guy um, was at my show. I mean, like we're hearing about it now. I have no recollection whatsoever. But he tells Scott tells me, "Hey, uh, there's some guy contacted me online. Says in 2003, you gave him a bottle of your piss and told him <laughs> to keep it, and he still has it, and he's bringing it uh, to the to the show, and like just wants you to know that." I'm like, okay. I'm like, and I, like at first I was just like, oh, all right, you know. But then it occurred to me like, fuck, that's epic. Yeah, you know, that's epic. I'm like, I want the fucking piss. I got right on my social media and and uh, I requested the fans um, bring uh, drug testing kits to my show so that I can dip it in the fucking piss from 2003 and find out how many different substances uh, were in my system in 2003. You know, like. Uh, I don't know if it's still did, did they, did, How long does stuff like that last once it's been well, released? Well, I mean, fuck. Like, um, now, the, the, like, in your body, cocaine will only stay for... Like for uh, Two weeks like, or something, no, is it? No, three days. Three days. Three days, oh, wow. cocaine's out. Right. Um, but it's not going to, like, leave the urine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's, cocaine, that's, right? that's its home. Like, pot, the um, THC will last, like, three weeks. <clears throat> but, yeah, so shit like that, man. Um... I don't know. We just get up to antics. It's it's a good time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jackass obviously changed your life. Um, that moment when you swallowed a goldfish and puked it back up, I guess, was the exact. If you could pinpoint that, like a sure. a moment, right, when it well, was yeah, I mean, never uh, going to be the same again. Specifically when that aired, the overnight. Um, Overnight, shit, shit was different, man. I don't think that anything like that had, had been, certainly not on television, and this is obviously way before reality TV, before the internet, before uh, well, YouTube, I smartphones. I, I, I suspect that they would have already had the real world. 
Uh, that reality TV started with the real world, and I wouldn't necessarily classify Jackass as reality TV as much. You know? Right. Um, not to say that it's you know reality TV is bad or, or, or we're better or anything like that. Just not just quite in that world. I mean, I don't know. Um, to me, like reality TV is is uh, a function of documenting like regular life as it naturally occurs, or in some sort of fashion, like sort of like set up a situation, and see how people you know, see how it unfolds how na- naturally. How naturally, yeah. And there's just nothing natural about Jackass. <laughs> it was so orchestrated. Yeah. I mean, orchestrated, planned. Like it, you know. I just wouldn't. I think that's what makes it different. How did the whole cast get together? Because it was sort of like an East Coast thing with the CKY thing and then uh-huh. the Big Brother Skate Company. How did all those components, you know, meet in the middle and that final cast lineup fall into place? Well, it was that simple, man. Back in um, whenever it was, I'm guessing it would have been 97 or 98. And Tremaine started, um, yeah, 98, Tremaine was already thinking that way. He didn't tell, you know, I don't know who he told, but I, I understand that he reached out to Spike Jones. And he was like, yo, Spike, um, everybody, like, our, our Big Brother skateboarding videos have become so popular. There's such a, like, cult following, but not because of the skateboarding. He says, I really don't think anybody gives a fucking shit about the skateboarding. But if we take out the skateboarding, what's left over, he says, I think there's a TV show there. And, um, you know, once we took out the skateboarding from the Big Brother videos, what was left over was me and Wee Man, and, um, Knoxville, Pontius. And 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 uh, Bam was was making a kind of a similar video series, uh, and they joined. They merged, you know, joined forces. And what about Dave and Aaron? Were they Big Brother? Were they part of that crew as well? Yeah. And Preston. I'm impressed by by the the uh, you know the de- the level of detail of which you're you're um, aware. It's, it's it's impressive. The Dave connection was um, with. Um, a snowboarding magazine which was called Blunt which I believe was under the same uh, corporate wing as Big Brother right which would have been Larry Flint Publications which is just fucking hilarious that Larry Flint the pornographer <laughs> was publishing some 20 high 20s porno porno magazines and one skateboard magazine for kids <laughs> I love it I think Blunt was uh, I'm not sure what it was but that's where he came from and Preston? Wasn't he like a truck driver or something? Where'd you find that guy? Preston met Knoxville. Preston's a big fat guy. And um, he met Knoxville on an audition for a television commercial, I think. If it wasn't a television commercial, it was a shoot or maybe it was some kind of an audition. And um, just, you know, sort of fascinated by the size of Preston, he asked him if he thought that he would be able to eat 100 eggs or however many eggs the egg challenge was. That wasn't part of it. But uh, Preston said he was down to try it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many people, too, who could have uh, been a part of it. You know, nobody knew what Jackass really was or what it was going to be, you know. And there were a lot of uh, sort of characters, you know, that had the potential to to become, like, proper cast members. Yeah, I guess you had what, like Brandon D. Comedio, Rab himself, Raekwon and Rab, yeah. you know, even like Dave Carney. And, um, I think, uh, you know, in the early days of the TV show, you know, you would notice there there were more people, but I guess like the, you know, the the people who were, who were motivated, the people who were into it, and the people who were coming up with really good footage kind of uh, stood out. Um, um, an op- you know, 
Yeah, it happened fucking so fast. I think what marked it out as well, it wasn't just guys hurting themselves. There was different levels to the comedy, wasn't there? So there was like the dangerous stuff, the kind of gross stuff, the really like physical, that must yeah, there were different really lanes. hurt kind of different stuff. Different lanes, different categories. And they would organize it like, they'd always put the really super gross shit last so that they could keep the female viewers, you know? Because they right. thought if you put like the, a lot of barfing or poo, I guess switch then, over, yeah. uh, then you're going to lose the female viewers. So always the the finale bit was something truly disgusting <laughs> <laughs> to close the show. And I think it's also the most coveted position for us. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of what made that show special was actually as well the relationships between you guys and, sure. the, and the friendships on display clearly throughout you know all the seasons and then the movies as well you could see like uh-huh. these, am, the, I, am I really fucking shit up for you by eating carrots? no not at all it's all oh, good no? okay. it's natural yeah yeah, it seems like we're, we're doing pretty good I, I'm generally a pretty good guest on podcasts no I had you on um, Mark Marin. I kill it. <laughs> There's his Scott. Here, here, here he is, the Mile High Club legend himself. Can they hear me from here? That story's made the uh, made the cut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best moment of my life. I think that's like the top three most amazing things. It's in, it's incredibly impressive. <laughs> I mean, she was hot too. Yeah, so hot. Not just hot. Steve O says one of the hottest. One of the hottest chicks I've seen on an airplane. And I'm not even kidding about that. Yeah, me neither. And she looks great on camera. Oh my god, dude. Do I even say what happened to me last night? <laughs> <laughs> no? Is that no. executive it's decision? Have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> Did you fast bond with Pontius, Steve O? Was that sort of your guy from day um, one? I don't know. Or was it more the similarities in your maybe approach that sort of put you two together for certain skits and then developed from there? We, we definitely were great on camera, I would say, to get, you know, and here I am just fucking being douchey and tooting my own horn, but uh, I think that we had a, we, we really distinctly had uh, a, a great on-camera um, thing. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll let that take over. Um, but Pontius was initially really annoyed by me. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, from, yeah. When, from when we first met, I remember, and, you know, the other thing that made us bond, too, is that we were in, in, a, in a like position. Like, Knoxville was, it was clearly, the, you know, the guy. It was Knoxville's show, and we were just sort of ancillary, especially in the beginning. We went on to become more of a, of a cast where, you know. Yeah. But in the beginning, it was just all about Knoxville, you know, when the TV show started. And so, um, Pontius was a little bit more clued in, and the very first night that we met... Uh, you know, the day that I picked up the goldfish and we were roaming around sort of late at night, we were drinking, just me and Pontius. So we went for a late night, um, di- you know, diner meal in some 24 hour, uh, restaurant. And, um, I was like, the cameras were off. We were, you know, I was like, here we are in this restaurant and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, come on. No, no, I'll do backflips. Like, you know, it's like doing backflips to entertain the, uh. The, the waitresses, you know, so they're just, like, performing tricks, like, everywhere I went, like, oh, no, come on, look at me, like, and Pontius was just, like, just not understanding it, like, like, why can't, like, just fucking stop, you know, like, we're not filming, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. are you fucking doing, like, uh, Were you always that way, though? Were you always on back then? Yeah. Always, man, always, always, and, um, and I love that, you know, I love that, I think that, uh, the same kind of like tireless energy to uh, to perform is, is you know I mean I'm not like doing backflips all day anymore but I think that uh, it's manifested itself in 
in uh, like a drive to, to to constantly be seeking to accomplish something you know? and be a better human being as well right With yeah i mean certain uh, life choices that you made over the years and there's 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 that too yeah but uh you know and i don't want to really like you know put put down anybody else but like it's uh it's it's sad for me like some of the guys to think like fuck they're so talented they're so creative you know they're so fucking funny and like really wanting to make a jackass four you know there's always like oh you know come on let's make another fucking jackass movie and it's like Knoxville doesn't want to do it you know Knoxville says he'd rather people ask for another jackass movie than ask why we made the last one <laughs> you know which you can't argue with yeah we push our luck so goddamn much <laughs> the last thing I would want to fucking see is Knoxville get paralyzed by a bull I remember you when know, the second movie came out. Getting in front of fucking bulls, like, dude, like... He went know? big, didn't he? Well, yeah, and then he got in front of bulls on the fucking third movie, too. It's like, you know, like, I never I never want to fucking see Knoxville get in front of a bull. You know, like, nobody particularly wants to see me get in front of sharks, even though, like, I, just like Knoxville is like... I feel totally unaccountable for anything I do in the presence of sharks. I don't know why. It's just a quirk of mine. <laughs> you know, it's a special power. Yeah. That was that was the first Wild Boys episode, right? It was just straight in the fucking ocean in front of a great right. white. Right, in front of the great white, yeah. yeah. And the crazy thing, too, like, I love having, you know, all these details, but um, <laughs> one of the first ideas I wrote, and it came from the professional skateboarder Danny Way. Danny Way had an idea. He says... Uh, and now that I'm more aware of wildlife, it's fucking nuts what he was talking about. But he's like, I want to catch a shark on a, on a fishing line. He says, as I reel it up to the boat, this shark, I want you to jump off of the boat and and hug it. And it's, it'll be called shark hug. It's just shark hugging. And I was like, fuck, you know. In my mind, I thought, like, by the virtue of, like, the, you know, physical science where, like, if the fishing line represents like a circle that a compass would draw uh-huh. then, and the, the shark's head is at the end of the line outside of that circumference you know that that you know like you would be the safe zone That's, yeah the safe zone yeah even though come on yeah. <laughs> how safe really is that safe right. zone <laughs> and I was thinking you know I was thinking if I come up if they got on the line and it can only you know and I put come up from behind it I can fucking hug a shark. Of course, like, it's so dark and, and, and disturbing, like, the fish hook. Like, it would just be a big turnoff, you know? So when I ran that idea by Jeff Tremaine, he was like, oh, okay, you know, I like it. And he said, um, he wanted to find a way to make it happen. But what, so what they had was in Florida, uh, where we where I filmed all of my footage for the first season of Jackass in the space of five days. They found, uh, and every day shark hugging was on the show. Um, but there's something they didn't show. What it was was that um, as a, a tourist company, a tourist operation, you know, uh, for like you could go with your families and bring you down to swim with sharks, like specifically nurse sharks, which are the most docile fucking like they had had like, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of, of uh, trips where they brought people down and, and without incident. There we are in the boat and... Um, getting ready to go down the guy says the one thing you want to watch out for is your hand movement you know don't wave your hands you know and then like sure enough I just didn't fucking listen and then what's the crazy thing is that I feel unaccountable for what I do with sharks yet here I am fucking the first time I ever swam with sharks I got I was bitten I'm there I was down there fucking waving my hands around like a fucking asshole right in the shark's face 
and whoop, and it fucking it, you can see right here dude it fucking mangled my finger like uh, yeah. you know I got all these crazy scars and uh, I'm like fucking now I'm like it's blood and I'm like I turn to the camera I'm like point up I'm going up <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know, we had this fucking crazy medic on the boat. He's smoking cigarettes. He just bandaged it up, you know. Like, I didn't even go to the fucking doctor or anything. Um, but the, but so the band, medic's bandaging me up. There's blood everywhere. It's the most classic fucking footage ever. You know, like, the fucking the medic guy is, like, sees me bleeding. He's like, medically speaking, I need a cigarette. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. just like a fucking <laughs> schmuck, Ed the medic. And, uh... It was just excellent, man. It's like, I, dude, this is the greatest. I got bitten by a fucking shark. I'm so happy. This is the greatest footage ever. I'm a fucking legend. And now the guy running the 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 uh, business on the boat, he says, he says, you guys can't show that. He says, if you guys show that, then then we're, we're going to fucking go out of business. Yeah. It's gonna fucking not going to be good for business. So, like, Jeff was like, oh, okay, we won. And he's kind of thinking, like, you know, yeah, you know, like, whatever. I'm going to do it anyway. It's too good. But, like... Did you find that, that a lot? A, Did you find sometimes that... Some great we, footage we, you we, couldn't we, show. Very little footage did we lose. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, it was a verbal contract, so they couldn't show it. And I got bitten by a fucking shark for nothing. And they showed I mean, it was still funny. Like, we were humping the sharks, but I was fucking bitten, you know? Can't, I can't even believe it. So then the thing was, like, moving from that point, that was season one. For season two, it was like, all right, enough is enough. We can't fucking film with these, like family-friendly fucking wildlife people, you know? We need to find someone who's who's going to let us be fucking gnarly, you know? And so, like, they were watching um, on Animal Planet. I don't know if that's a channel in England, but it's a channel in America. It's sort of, you know, wildlife programming, yeah. you know? Sort of like National Geographic, but yeah, it's called yeah. Animal Planet. There's this show on there, Manny the Shark Man. That's where you got him. That's right. where they, and, and it was it was Jeff Tremaine was watching with uh, Chris Pontius, and um, they're they're watching uh, this fucking guy, this Tarzan looking dude with long fucking hair. He looks just like Tarzan. He's fucking this maniac. He's he's like riding sharks. I mean, he would literally just grab the fin and just ride the fucking shark, like like ride it. And uh, and he's got he's going in the swamp where it's so murky and at night and just like with a flashlight and going up nose to nose to huge alligators and grabbing them under their chin, lifting them up out of the swamp, and like you know they were really fucking into it. But the thing was like uh, and then it's hilarious what they say is that they loved the sharks, they loved the alligators, but what got Manny the job was the fact that he was doing all that shit wearing a speedo. <laughs> <laughs> He'll fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> the speedo got him the gig. And uh, and so, yeah, and now, we never all got together in one place until we were filming um, the second season. You know, like, the first season was a hodgepodge. I, I filmed all my shit in Florida. You know, a lot man, of it, I guess, was already filmed as well, it, right? Yeah. Especially the CKY was, stuff, yeah. A lot of the CKY stuff was... Uh, Appropriated, you know, it was licensed. You know, as soon as the show got picked up, they told me, um, Jeff told me to send in all my video footage because I had been filming since I was 15. I had so much video at that point, you know, and like there was just so much stuff that I had. And I thought, oh, this is great, man. I'll send in all my best fucking shit and like uh, I'm out of the gate swinging, you know, yeah, with all yeah, this yeah. great stuff. And then uh, I called up Jeff to see what of my footage they were going to license from me. And he said, uh, sadly, not one clip cleared 
the standards and practices, you know, the sensors. Now, to be fair, some of the shit was Is that because it's fire play, right? Can you not yeah, air right. that? Yeah, right. Some of the shit was just of too, too poor quality for them to want to show. Right, right. You know, filmed badly or, or you know... But, but some of it was filmed really fucking well, and it was just that they had rules against playing with fire because MTV had lost their ass in lawsuits a couple times for different things. MTV was just particularly not fucking cool with fire. Um, and... Uh, the other thing that they were nervous about was was jumping um, from shit that's too high. You know, like <laughs> that's half you, the show. <laughs> yeah, if you jump from anything too high, they're like people getting hurt. So they had like a certain like height over which they wouldn't show us jumping. And like fuck, that killed me because my specialty was jumping off of fucking rooftops. You know, like, well, I watched that one of your first ever stunts, the lunch break jump, yeah, where you front sure. flipping off a three story building into a pool. Right, and I, my shit was like jumping off of like fucking apartment buildings, like three stories off the roof into the water that was like four or five feet yeah. deep. You know, like like I'm six feet tall, so I mean, landing in, in shallow water was my specialty, and then like. And then I would, like, go jump off of roofs, like, while set on fire, you know? And if I wasn't jumping off shit that was way too high, most likely while on fire, then, like, anything else is even crazier, you know? <laughs> it was like... So, there's no, so out of the gate, like, I remember when, when Tremaine told me, oh, no, we can't show anything that you sent in. I, I got scared. I thought, oh, man, fuck. Like, I, thought, I thought all of a sudden that it was a big false alarm, like... Like, oh, no, man, I thought I was going to be famous for being rad, <laughs> you know? What kind of a fucking pussy-ass show are we are we making? Like, they're not going to let us do anything? Like, if we're, nothing's allowed on TV? Like, fuck. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll get whatever notoriety I can out of, uh, out of this fucking candy-ass shit that they won't let us do anything, which is what I thought Jackass would be. And, and, and then I'll sell on the side my own uh, uncensored two-hopper TV you know, a video series. And, um, and so that's what I did, man. You know, the Don't Try This at Home video series was born of, uh, the MTV censors, man. Which is great. I didn't really realize until learning about, you know, your sort of drinking and drug taking, getting out of control. Um, because there'd be so many episodes where you'd just be asleep all the time. And I'd always be like, how come this guy's constantly asleep? I guess it was because you'd be awake for days on end, right, filming and staying up, and then you'd just crash, and when you crash, you'd be, like, out. Because every episode, there'd be, like, a moment where somebody would be stitching you up asleep. And I'm like, what's with this guy? From the beginning, yeah. There's definitely some of that. (laughs) And another thing, too, before we uh, we got to filming the second season, the second season was the first time we were all together in one place. And uh, I remember getting really fucked up. And um, just but for not with not with the other guys, but uh, you know, just with regular friends. And uh, took a bunch of pills after a big cocaine bender or something. And I was so asleep. They were just doing. They were drawing all over with markers. They were like, you know, yeah, they were, yeah. like fucking with me to like to you know pretty like a crazy extent. And I never woke up for anything. And so <laughs> I was like, oh man. And I emailed emailed those guys and I was like hey dudes you know like fuck if I party for like for like for uh, like two or three days and then take a bunch of pills like I think you guys could hang me upside down from a tree and fucking <laughs> and, and, and it'll be like impossible to wake me up you guys can do fucking whatever you want to me like just fucking do, hey I want to be hung upside down from a tree and tortured and uh, when Knoxville received that email he was like alright I guess 
there's not going to be any pranking Steve-O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there he is. asking for like, the worst fucking shit you could possibly do to him. That takes all the fun out of fucking doing mean shit to him. So I was never the target for any pranks. <laughs> it was often bad. I, mean, I guess that's like, not to say. I mean, everybody got pranked, but... Yeah, yeah. At but what yeah. point for you, Steve-O, if you don't mind going into it, at what point did it stop being fun? Like the sessioning and the drinking and the... Oh. The I thought in. I was having fun right up until the very end. Really? I mean, fun might not be the word for it, but like once the voices started talking to me, once I was like hearing the voices and, and watching the people walk around my apartment who had never actually been there, all the hallucinations, all the voices, all, I was just like connected to the spirit world, you know, and like I just wanted to keep that happening. No, I'm fucking really. You did. You enjoyed that. I was peeking behind the curtain. I was peeking behind the curtain, you know, of uh, other dimension, fucking spirit shit, and um, that was a big deal, man. I mean, I, I still fucking reflect on that, and, and it's amazing, man. Like, um, I, I loved all that, and uh, fuck, I just love drugs, man. I would love to be on drugs right now, but the problem is that. Um, you know, like it just came to a point where my actions were uh, not acceptable, not by me or anybody else. You know, like it was really, <clears throat> it was impossible for me to get through any given day without like really disrupting someone's life. Right. <laughs> you know, like mine or someone else. Like I, I just became uh, at times terribly mean spirited and would just really just think it was a great idea to, uh, to, to, just do really shitty things to people you know and um i would just it was if it wasn't like uh shit that i did that was uh brought about like there's just like you know my food groups became shame guilt remorse humiliation (laughs) you know repeat like that that, repeat yeah exactly that was like it was just like oh my god every day there's some fucking thing i did they made me feel so guilty because I had harmed another person or so fucking humiliated because I had just fucking embarrassed myself so terribly and publicly. Um, and, and, I mean, for me to say I was embarrassed, like, like uh, you know, I was doing fucking shitty stuff, man. You know, I was I was humiliated. I was ashamed. I was just fucking racked with guilt. And that was... Uh, my self-esteem was just so low. And, and, and then you're right. Repeat. The only way, you know... And uh, it just and, and I was just killing myself, man. I was fucking killing myself, and I was burning every bridge in my career. Like I had good things going for me, and I just fucking ruined everything. And uh, it just really went into free fall mode. So there was no way to continue what I was doing, man. There, there really wasn't. Like if I tried to, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of cliche and, and lame to be like, oh, I would I would have died, you know, but. Uh, <clears throat> but it wouldn't be fucking surprising, man. I was like, uh, over the years, I have um, really fucked over more people than than most on the celebrity death pool. <laughs> <laughs> I've been the most like, uh, yeah, you know, like the odds-on favorite in in the, the death pool community, and has really cost people money. And I guess when people actually, legitimately close to you, I mean, when people close to you actually 
began to worry, you know, because they could sort of joke about how, oh yeah, you know. It was like a joke how at the end of the first Jackass movie, you know, you saw everybody die except for me. <laughs> yeah, and your face appears was, and you're like, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the joke of that was that I was the guaranteed first person to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, the joke was like, well, yeah, the guy says Steve's going to live forever. Um, thank God for Knoxville, right? I mean, are you and him close friends? It seems like he was there for you when not no one else was, but he he made that tough decision, right? That uh, yeah, the best friends deal, make. Man. It was a big deal, and and uh, yeah, Knoxville. Yeah, we're like we're always in contact. I uh, I love the guy, man. I fucking love him, and and uh, he's really like I, I refer to him as the captain, you know. And that's beyond just the cast and the, the skits. And right, he's like, I genuinely believe, and I can't even say with certainty like what the situation was, but the money was a joke from the beginning. And when and when, when the first movie deal came around, um, they offered us like a, you know an amount of money that we totally were excited about, but not realizing that it was a fucking joke. You know, and from what I understand, um, I think Jeff Tremaine would have been perfectly happy to. Uh, be like, hey, dude, they're fucking stoked. You know, they're, they're, they're stoked. They'll take it. Give it to them. And I think Knoxville really put his foot down and said, no, like, uh, I'm just not going to fucking see it in front of a camera for this project unless uh, we take care of the of the cast, you know, all the guys with some, some back-end percentage, you know, some profit participation in the back-end. And, I mean, they didn't give us, like, like, you know, considering there's a bunch of us, I think that we really did well, but I just, like... That's something that that I, I understand happened, and uh, and it's characteristic of Knoxville, you know. I think to take care of his brothers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Give him something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, kid. <laughs> yeah, and I've never. I mean, I've never begrudged Knoxville for any, for anything, you know. There was a a situation after the third movie where. Um, like a genuine clerical error, error uh, prevented any of us from getting anything <laughs> for quite a while, and that upset me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I actually uh, started running my mouth a little bit, and there was like, a, at least on my side of the street, some some resentment. But the thing was that it was a genuine error, and uh, everything was made completely right. So uh, if it ever seemed at one point like I was upset with Knoxville. Um, that uh, was a super temporary situation that was completely rectified. And um, I just fucking have so much... He's a, he's a fucking hero, dude, Knoxville. You know? Was the third movie the first one you did sober? Was that when you sort of had come through the stuff and uh-huh. and you were working it out? Was that uh, a challenge? Was it actually more fun because you were, like, present for it? I mean, how did you well, find doing all that stuff sober compared to, you know, years of doing it wasted? It was... Uh, I was participating in a way that uh, I hadn't before, you know, like, um, in one sense, um, I was kind of like, um, uh, uncomfortable in my skin, sort of like I hadn't really found my voice, I hadn't kind of come broken out of my shell, you know, I was still sort of awkward in early sobriety, and I think that that's kind of evident to look at it, but I was so motivated, and I was so fucking creative, like, on the, on, on the second Jackass movie, I don't think that one fucking idea that I wrote and submitted uh, got filmed. The only thing I contributed, you know, creatively from a standpoint of writing bits 
was showing up at a, a Jeff Tremaine's house for a writing session. And, uh, you know, we're just kicking around ideas. And I said, hey, um, for what it's worth, man, I was looking in the mirror this morning and found my pubic bush to be uh, really fucking uh, out of control. And um, so I shaved it off with a fucking electric shaver in pretty much one foul swoop. And it was such a huge afro in my hand, I fucking tucked it into a fucking little drug baggie, you know? And so I have this, like fucking like eight ball fucking empty eight ball bag filled with pubic hair for what it's worth it's sitting in my kitchen you know and uh i had already like had you know rolled up joints of pubic hair and gotten people to smoke them which is funny um uh and, and that of course was the the you know initial you know genesis for what would become the pubic beard yeah right and the terror taxi bit but other than that that was know, raw that was raw wasn't it it was great and other <laughs> than that I really contributed nothing you know like fucking fuck all you know I had nights I was like oh I want to I'll get a fucking tattoo of a cigarette coming out of the corner of my mouth and then with smoke rising up the side of my face off the tip of it <laughs> I bet you're glad you didn't do that one <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't do that <laughs> that was an idea that I turned in on Jackass number two there's just fuck all that I came up with I was so not fucking you know uh, on point I was just not on point um, and uh, come number three you know the Jackass 3D I fucking I almost everything I came up with we fucking shot and, and you know a lot of it didn't make the movie but uh but yeah so I mean whenever I see somebody that says like uh Steve-O was funnier when he was on drugs or like he was fucking he was better it's just not fucking true you know those people are fucking uh they're wrong man and I think that they can fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> From my point of view, dude, is someone who's watched your career over the years with an active interest and seeing what I would probably consider to be now like a second, an entirely new second chapter to your life and your career. Um, it's an inspirational journey. And well, thanks, man. what you've got going it. on right now is an incredible new stage and an exciting new chapter in I mean, your professional life. I've been... Uh, I've, First, thank you. You know, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, when I say that some of the other guys, it makes me sad that, that uh, you know, they're so creative and they're so so talented and so fucking funny. And, and um, like, you know, the, the, when, they, when they, like, voice this, this, this desperation, this urge to film another Jackass movie, and it's not going to happen. Like, they're just kind of, like, arms up in the air, sort of, feel, like, feeling kind of destitute, you know? And it's like, shit... Yeah, I, I just like uh, it makes me sad that they would that the that the jobs the the work they've done over the years has been, you know, when, when we're all together, you know, under the umbrella of a of a jackass production, and um, you know, like it's shitty to say that because I'm being critical of the guys, but really all I'm all I'm trying to express is just a super fucking. You know, I'm just so grateful that there's some, for some reason, and it is by all means the same fucking drive in me that made me have to do backflips for fucking waitresses at three in the morning in a fucking all night diner yeah. with nobody watching, you know, like that, 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 that inability for me to ever turn off the, the fucking on switch and, and, and ever slow down, um, 
It, oh, shit. Hold on. I think this is Graham, Graham Bell. Hello? Steve Yeah, is that Graham? Graham. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, where are you at, brother? I'm just uh, walking up to the Beaver Street bus and down uh, by the O2. Cool, man. Um, how, how, how far until you get to the O2? I'm, I'm literally right outside. Okay, cool, man. I'll open up the tour bus and I'll bring you on. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds good, man. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great time to stop, too. Yeah, man, like, right uh, on. Um, yeah, dude, I'm super stoked, man. And um, Thank you so much for your time. Hey, of course, man. Absolute and, uh, pleasure. You know, wish me luck on this movie I'm writing, dude. I'm really... That, that that could mark. Okay. That could mark. Can we get any uh, info, or is you that where you can? It's just I, I just like uh, I've got the script almost done, man, and um, and I got a contract with a really capable producer who has made 175 movies, and I like to think I'll be fucking shooting this son of a bitch imminently, you know, like the, the, like next year. One, two, three, four. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.